Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal episode 43, uh, where I'm going to be talking with uh, another guest today. And he's been very patient and stayed quiet while I've asked him to to just be quiet so we can find this point really quickly on the editing. <laughs> so a big welcome to Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi there, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. I'm cool. okay. Um, so obviously for this episode, a chance to have... Uh, Tom onto the podcast and just kind of another chance to have someone else talk a little bit about their story about their journey um, with mental health um, their experiences and kind of talk of on some of the points that kind of spur off of that um, and again uh, just a big thank you to to Tom for getting in contact as well in the first instance and actually being kind of willing to come onto the podcast and talk about um, your own experience as well which is really cool thank you thank you very much um so tom tell me a little bit about yourself <laughs> i can start talking if you want you can <laughs> i told you to shut up and now it's like now talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah for anyone listening i was told to shut up for three seconds um before mike did his intro <laughs> um which i was more than happy to do <laughs> um but yeah i um obviously i i was uh, I came across uh, the Open Journal on Twitter through my friend uh, Lucy Werner, who I think may be a mutual friend of yours, Mike. I rec- or- I need. Oh, we've done this thing where there's no picture. Um, no. I recognise the name, but not like immediately. So um, uh, you keep talking, and I'll have a look. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so my friend Lucy, um, she knows that I've suffered with. Uh, mental health problems for well, more than 10 years now, um, which I'll come on to. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I speak about it increasingly, um, in the past few years, um, to try and tackle stigmas and break down, uh, taboos and barriers and think that, you know, if I'm sharing my story and, you know, that whole kind of sharing is caring mm. kind of message um, that, you know, if it can help other people that, you know, may be struggling with similar things or know somebody that is. So, um, so yeah, Lucy uh, knows that I'm kind of doing those kind of things at the moment. And then she either quoted your tweet or sent the tweet to me saying, Tom, you should do this. It was a tweet that you'd sent. Oh, yes, I do vaguely remember seeing something like that, yeah. So, um, and I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds sounds really good. And then I listened to a couple of your previous podcasts and thought, yeah, I really like the the sound of it. Um, I think it, in this kind of environment on you know i love radio anyway mm-hmm. um listen to radio four a lot and bbc radio two and not so much podcasts recently i used to listen to russell brand's podcast which okay. used to tickle me a little bit i know <laughs> russell brand's a bit marmite <laughs> but um used to find it funny oh and ricky gervais's uh, old podcast but anyway that's a whole other story um but yeah, I guess um, I I thought so. I've been suffering with mental health problems f- for as long as I can remember. Really, I'm I'm 35 now. Um, this month, actually, two weeks ago. Oh, um, happy birthday! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't, didn't 
don't feel obliged that you had to say that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, oh, sorry, I'm getting lost in my words now. Uh, but yes, um, since I was about 24, I think that was the first time that I um, recognised that it was that I was experiencing mental health problems that were actually what I would consider medical as opposed to prior to that I just thought I'm I'm down I'm you know not happy there are things in my life I want to change this was um I should say that I've, I've my mental health problems have always been around depression and recurrent depression and more recently it's been about um I had a, a new diagnosis last year, 18 months ago. Um, I was diagnosed as having bipolar disorder type 2. Um, but, yeah, going all the way back to, you know, when I was 24, the first time I realised that something wasn't quite right and um, that I needed to go and see a doctor or knew that I had to do something was when I, I was... Um, doing a temping job at the time it was pretty soul destroying I think for anyone that wouldn't <laughs> that doesn't have a mental health problem uh, but it was a data entry oh, um, no. job it was I had just finished studying uh, a journalism postgraduate course and um, I think I was feeling under quite a lot of pressure after graduating thinking okay now you have this qualification you have to go out there and be somebody and you have to get that job and be that person um and I was panicking and rather than being productive I kind of retreated into myself and thought I don't have the confidence to to deal with this and kind of confidence had been something that I'd always struggle with confidence and self-esteem but then um yeah, so I, I, I ended up taking this temping job while I decided what I was going to do about actively looking for a, a job that I wanted. Um, and I was in this uh, office doing, uh, I can't, it was like for a, one of these like TomTom SatNav um, companies, I was doing data entry plotting different points on okay. maps. It was all to do with like, so like cold- points of interest and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, even thinking about it now. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh uh, my god! Uh, in all seriousness, though, like uh, it wasn't to do with that environment. But I remember breaking down in floods of tears uncontrollably uh, one afternoon, and I just left the office and didn't say anything to anyone or try and speak to anyone nobody approached me it was a very small office there weren't that many people around um i think maybe it was during lunch hour time so um it was kind of people were going in and out um anyway so it may not have seemed like a surprise but um i just left and i 
thought, I can't go back. Uh, and I remember going home and just seeing my, I was living with my parents at the time and I just got home and my mum was there and she said, what are you doing? And she saw that I was crying and she just said, you know, come here, gave me a big hug. And I just said, mum, I don't know what's wrong. I just, I, I feel so miserable and lost and I just don't know how to help myself. Mm. Um, and that was, that was the first time that my mum said, I think you just need to, to go and see a doctor and go book an appointment with your GP. And, you know, she was there with me and you called the doctors for me and said, you know, I'd like to book an appointment, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it was either that day or the following day that I, I first went to my GP. And, um, yeah, that was, it seems like such a long time ago now. Well, I guess it is. It's, it's, more than 10 years ago mm. but um it's been a hell of a journey since then um yeah i <laughs> i don't really know where to i begin. think it's that first bit like you say the first the first part on the journey is such a, a monumental thing isn't it when you something happens and you i guess kind of you can process or try and work with with whatever's going on sometimes mm. it's something really big sometimes it's just to build up a lot of small things but when you get to that point where you or somebody else around you like recognizes do you know what like actually like you do need a little bit of extra help you do need to go and talk to someone um mm. and like just it it still get every time i hear someone talk about it for the first time um it's so it feels so emotional because it also reminds you of your own story of like that time when you were like, do you know what? Actually, no, like I've tried mm. to do it on my own or I've tried to get on with it. Or I don't really know what's going on. Like you do need someone to give you a bit of information. And you know what? Sometimes yeah. that, that first trip to the doctors is great. Sometimes it's awful. But apart from that, like it's that first journey it's just to start. going in. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's such a big um it's such a big thing i know recently on some of the podcasts we've spoken about education and things like that where um it's in our mind that if if we injure ourselves physically like you have a a doctor a gp or someone will look at that and assess you and tell you what you need to do and um in our minds just because it's something different because it's not something physical Mm. it's so much harder for us to accept that that little bit of extra support is needed mm. um and like i said or even understand yeah i think physical uh illnesses it's very black and white you mm. know you've broken an arm this is what we need to do to fix the arm yeah um, sorry my <laughs> my boyfriend is here and he's just saying it, that they are gonna eat yes that's fine <laughs> yes <laughs> No, I'm okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. That's no. okay. <laughs> we could do another three-second silence if it's easier. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but yes, sorry. No, I. Um, sorry about that. Where was well? What was I? Oh, yeah, <laughs> physical pain. Um, so with a physical injury, yeah, it's very black and white, yeah. and it's you know something that everybody can relate to. That people generally have an understanding about like oh okay yeah 
you have a, a broken arm or you have a cold or I don't know, you have mm. anything. something, chicken pox or anything, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, chicken pox was a good example, yeah. <laughs> it's really, really? Cool. The, the physical image of that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I hope it's not too... Uh, oh, no, um, no. no, I've had my dinner, but, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, but yeah, with, with mental health, as you say, it's... Um, I don't like using the term invisible illness. You know, you know I was doing air quote yeah. finger gesture there at the same time. But, well, no, um, I'm really bad with that. It's like if you were doing like a video, it would be fine because people could see that. But when you're doing it and you're like, it's just a recording, no one gets sometimes no. that you're doing yeah. that. <laughs> so I'm doing the, uh, the audio description, visual yeah. just gesticulation. Um, but yeah, I th- it's, although it's not an invisible illness, because you know a lot of the symptoms of many mental health issues do, you know, stem over to physical um, or have physical effects, whether yeah. it's through self harm, through um, uh, personal neglects, um, or uh, all all spectrum of things. But mm. it. it, it you know, we all know that mental health can takes its toll on the body. Like with a mental health problem, it takes a toll on a human being's body. So it's um, it is a physical illness as well. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people don't recognise that. And um, yeah, so going to the yeah, taking that first step and going to the doctor is is one thing, but then. Even since then, it was uh, an incredible journey because the first doctor I saw, I remember, was very sympathetic and understanding, um, but I don't think they realised how little I knew about mental health at the time because in that first meeting, the, the doctor was offering to prescribe me antidepressants there and then mm. uh, and I d- didn't really know what I hadn't you know I knew nothing I knew that antidepressants existed but I it never entered my mind like oh what would taking an antidepressant do obviously I I think it would make me feel better but mm. I don't know anything about the side effects um that there are a whole <laughs> plethora of yeah. antidepressants with slightly different ways of working, different effects, and different side effects as mm. well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I started taking a what was the first one that I was prescribed? I think it was fluoxetine. I don't know if you've. I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. And it just did not agree with me at all. And. Um, it works for some people, I know, but with me, it, I had very bad, um, like excessive sweating, and which is you know, not nice and very uncomfortable. Um, and it actually increased my anxiety levels. So that, at a time when I was sort of first coming to grips with, with the idea that you know I'm clinically depressed mm. and taking a medication that the doctor said is going to make me feel better and actually I'm feeling worse. Yeah. And I know the, the doctor did say that 
normally you know it takes between two weeks and a month for you to actually start feeling positive effects from any antidepressant um and i stuck with it for that period but it was mm. yeah still very unbearable but um that's good though that you stuck with it for that because i know i think pretty much everyone says at least the first two weeks are always really really rough um yeah. Like you get the worst of the side effects. Plus, um, like you say, if you've gone in to ask for help and you start taking the antidepressant straight away, you've still got a whole thought process going on around like what is going on. Mm. Um, and to, like you say, to go through that um, sort of four weeks, um, plus or minus, um, yeah. to, to stick on that and keep going. So like, I'm going to give them like enough time to see if there is a benefit to see if these side effects do drop off or, um, I think that's a really, that's a really brave thing to do. Um, because there's so much that's new and you're not prepared for, um, Mm. to say like, actually like someone's told me this might help. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to do the best I can and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to a few people where, it's a real struggle and they for whatever reason haven't managed to do the four weeks or they've decided actually i'm going to move off of this after but a few days or a week mm. um and again like there's a lot of bravery in saying actually do you know what this one isn't the best for me yeah um, so it really is about trying to recognize like what you can deal with and what you think mm. might be best but it's, mm. it's such a hard um it's such a hard place to be i think and yeah I don't know how much, like you say, if you you didn't know a huge amount beforehand, but mm. um, I, well, that's, yeah. I have to say, like, I think a lot of people are, we don't know loads, um, but sometimes there's like bits of information. So like you say, you know, there's going to be side effects, but you don't know what they are. Mm. And I think I was probably, I don't know that I was aware, but I probably knew there was different types of antidepressants. Um, Cause I think they, maybe they mention it to you and they sort of say, oh, it'll take a little while to get, um, go through and things like that and there is almost that knowledge that at the beginning that even even your doctor or your GP is making a best guess like mm. yeah we think antidepressants might help you and of the ones that are available I think this is going to be the best one and think what chance have we got you know <laughs> like mm. these are the trained professionals um, yeah. and they're making the best guess and we've got obviously a lot of stuff going on within our minds anyway mm. um so there's a lot to be said for kind of sticking with it and and trying to work out what's what's best for you as well mm. yeah definitely and I mean, because it felt like such a gamble at the time. I thought, I'm putting my trust completely in this person and they're giving me these pills and I'll kind of, I'm so desperate, I'll do whatever I'm told and whatever, Mm. you know, a professional, you know, advises me to do. And I was kind of just blindly clinging on to the hope that something might improve. But, um, you know, this was, I think it was back in 2007, Mm. Um, because I've, I've, I've had about five different psychiatric, uh, NHS, um, uh, consultation assessment meetings in the past 10 years. Um, and I, yeah, I, I've got all the letters and the, um, what do you call it? The, the, the kind of summary, uh, notes that they send you afterwards, like the official, 
documentation, a summary of uh, everything that was said during your consultation. And um, yeah, the first one, two thousand seven, it was it, it was good. The doctor, you know, rightly or wrongly, just offered me the option of medication, which I, as an adult, decided to take. Mm. Um, but also, they were, you know put me on that course to on that pathway to to see a, a psychiatrist and have that first consultation and that was the first time that I thought okay I'm in an environment where I can actually not be afraid to talk very candidly about how I'm feeling without fear of upsetting somebody or mm. I mean because when I first went to the doctor and my mum was was with me I don't think she came into the the appointment with me but it was um being in this different environment having a psychiatric assessment although the, the terminology psychiatric assessment terrified me um it felt like a really safe space for mm. me to actually just speak to somebody. And she was lovely. This, this first psychiatrist, female psychiatrist that I saw, uh, very understanding, compassionate, warm, receptive. And I felt safe and I felt that somebody was actually listening to me and actually understood somehow yeah. you know, so they're, they're trained in that sense um, so that was the beginning of my um, I guess journey uh, journey to understanding <laughs> um, no, but, uh, my yeah education really um, and from from then um, I thought okay I need to learn about this and decided to start researching you know, starting off with the different medications and um, different treatments available. And they also referred me to have some counselling, talking therapy at the time, which um, I found very useful. It was a one-on-one counselling service. Um, but then skipping forward a few years... <laughs> I was going to say, so in that period, yeah. obviously, you've tried a couple of different... Uh, uh, and different types of therapy um, and then obviously you've mentioned that more recently you've had the diagnosis of bipolar as well do you feel yeah. like in that time do you feel like the the work that you were doing on your um, on your mental health with regards to depression do you feel like that improved over that time um, and that those things helped or do you just feel like um, maybe if you like you were starting now actually you would have gone a different route or i um i don't know just because no, your journey is over a period of time yeah yeah i'm almost a, a veteran now all <laughs> um, the knowledge <laughs> <laughs> well i think i don't i wouldn't change a thing obviously i would never have ever wanted to suffer depression i think mm. it's one of the most devastating illnesses that anybody can suffer because it just yeah robs you completely of your life well in my case it did I felt completely um disabled and unable to function it you know I had to take huge amounts of time um off of work and t having time 
without a job um, as a result of circumstances, you know, related to depression. Mm. Um, but, yeah, in answer to your question, um, I feel like, you know, I, during these number of depressive episodes, it tended to be, you know, one a year, one depressive episode a year or every 18 months. And mm. they would commonly last between six months and nine months when I would, yeah, be very depressed for that whole duration, um, which is tough, you know, or any kind of depression is tough. But for an extended time like that, you know, yeah. I always felt, okay, my life's over now. I'm never going to be better. Mm. Um, but, yeah, through the years and being on the different antidepressants and just having that support of a counsellor, whoever it was, you know, I've seen many counsellors over the years now, you do learn things. You, you, well, it's, it's, you, more than anything, I think you learn how to be introspective mm. uh, and how to um, uh, kind of do a, a self check-in with yourself. Yeah, I think um, it's really cool to hear, obviously, like the first part of what you were saying in that actually, while I obviously wouldn't have wanted to suffer with this, actually, the journey that I've gone through, I have huge respect for that. I appreciate the journey I've gone through and yeah. I'm happy with the the progress that I've made and the experience I've had in that. And mm. I think that shows like it's a lot of um I don't know, like we always we beat ourselves up over everything. Yeah. Um and to take like I don't know to have sort of respect for the journey that we've gone through isn't generally something that we're going to have. Mm. Um, but I'd say even from the the small part of, of your journey and your experience that you've talked through, mm. like it sounds, um, it sounds like you should have like a huge amount of respect for yourself and for the journey that, that you've gone through to, mm. have, um, to repeatedly have like those long episodes where you're involved or you're suffering from like, um, those depressive spells to actually mm. keep going and to try with the the different therapies, different medications to be someone that speaks out about their experience as well, I think is a hugely mm. beneficial thing and shows that, you know what, like it's not about um, like I get caught up on generally people that don't, I don't know, that don't talk about mental health are not involved in mental health like this term, mm. you'll get better. Um, mm. yeah. And that really annoys me because I find it a little bit more, I don't know if it's, some people might think it's defeatist, but for me, it's not about getting better. It's about understanding more. Yeah. Um, And I feel like the way you talk is very much in, that's in my mind of like, oh, if I continue to suffer like this for years and years and years, actually like the idea that um, being like similar to your story where actually, yeah, that's still affecting me, but the progress that I make, I'm happy with. And, Mm. um, you accept kind of the things that do affect you and try and improve on that in the way that you can. Mm. Um, and along the way you kind of talk with other people, learn from them, hopefully inspire some people along the way. And actually there's a lot to be said for that journey. Yeah, definitely. And I think for, for me, Mm. um, with hindsight, especially with the, the last 18 months with, um, with since I was diagnosed as having bipolar disorder type two, that for me was like a um, fireworks moment, um, you know, in in good and bad ways. Eighteen months ago, because 
I, I remember seeing a, a psychiatrist. I ended up paying to go and see somebody at the priory clinic um, because I was distraught and couldn't wait any longer to see for, for, for an NHS appointment. Um, and well, it was very fortunate that I had the money to be able to um, pay for that consultation because it was... Uh, going off the subject a little bit, but um, it was £450 for one consultation. Um, you know, who in the real world, you know, mm. generally speaking, average wage earners and below whatever, mm. who can afford to spend something like that? You know, so I'm very blessed in a, in a way that I was able to, you know, have that opportunity, and but it was it was. There, there, obviously, there are thousands of people out there that don't have that blessing. So I, mm. I can't imagine where I would be now if I hadn't, you know, had that opportunity. But that's digressing um, slightly. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw this doctor, and when he. He gave me a very thorough assessment, most thorough I felt that I'd ever had before, and just asking different questions or asking things in a different way um, that um, extracted the truth, I guess, in, mm. in terms of what I was dealing with. Um, and it pretty conclusively, he said after I sat with him, was like, yeah, it's... Sounds to me that you've a classic bipolar type two, uh, bipolar disorder type two um, case or sufferer. And again, at that time, I didn't, I knew of bipolar disorder, um, but I didn't know the, that there were different types type one, type two, cyclothemia, um, type one with psychothemia and all these different terminologies that I didn't know about. Um, But, yeah, as I said, with hindsight now, that moment I remember leaving that consultation and going straight because the the psychiatrist said you should um, go away and do some reading about it um, and he talked me through possible treatment plans as well. Mm. Um, but he said, I don't want to, you to feel rushed because this is a big change for you. And um, I want you to go away and read as much as you can and then take advice, you know, on what your next step should be. Um, I remember coming out of that appointment and had my. Uh, smartphone with me and went straight onto the Mind website to look up the definition of bipolar disorder type two. And I remember reading this uh, the, the definition and just tears rolling down my face because I thought this is just describing me. Yeah. Um, and it felt like a, a moment of clarity in like 10 years of a mess I mean because it had been so disruptive in my life um you know I don't know how familiar you are Mike with bipolar disorder um, not massively I mean when you were talking through there I mean I I know that there's type one and type two um Mm. I 
can't say that I remember the difference, but I wasn't aware that there were other kind of variations on that as well. I didn't yeah. know that at all. Yeah, so I, I didn't at the time. It wasn't, I mean, because there's there's a whole spectrum of mental health um, conditions out there. So I think unless you know someone or you are a sufferer of one in particular, or unless you're an expert in the field of you know, mental health, people generally don't know all of the facets and different types so um but yeah just so bipolar disorder is generally what was referred to back in the uh, lesser sophisticated days of medicine as as manic depression mm. um and uh so bipolar disorder type one is what you would I guess, consider or most people would imagine would, what would be manic depression where you have extremities of being in, in mood in terms of being very depressed and low moods um, one day or one minute or one hour and then in, you know, another moment you can be, you know, on the roof like <laughs> on flying ceiling. high <laughs> yeah exactly high as a kite and completely uncontrollable um kind of that that person that i think everybody has had i think well i feel like with mental health i think i feel like it's a spectrum anyway um and everybody is on that spectrum somewhere yeah. huge uh, but with bipolar disorder type one, it's you're at that extremity um, when you are. They call it uh, mania still. So it's mm. you're either you know it's depression at one end and mania. Uh, so at the lower end and the higher end is uh, mania. Mm. And it um, yeah, that's bipolar disorder type one. And there are different categorizations within that uh, to do to do with frequency um mm -hmm. of mood change um uh but yeah there's all the all these details are on the mind website which mind is what uh, mind.org or is it yeah. mind.org i think um, it's .org yeah um and i would think as well i'm sure there is uh on the nhs website as well i think there's usually some bits of information on there so um, there's a few different places. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's rethink.org and yeah. mind.org. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's mind.org.uk. I just yeah. checked. Um, but. Okay, so, so type that, yeah. one is the, what I would call like the stereotypical. Yes. Yeah. Um, version of bipolar. Yeah. So what's the difference with type two? So type two is, um, you are still you have that fluctuation in in mood the same same in the same way that bipolar type one is um but the traits with bipolar type two are that you have tend to have um more prolonged uh low periods uh, periods of depression and these can 
be anywhere between three and nine months or 12 months. Okay. I should I should say I'm not a medical professional, so if I don't get the... No, uh, we're all just making it up from our own experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going on, yeah, what I've read and what I can remember seeing, but I may yeah. not get everything right. But that's... And as far as my understanding of the definition is... So, yeah, this is how it so goes. So it's a case of you're affected by... The yeah, low, the low moods on a more on like an extended basis. Extended, and I think it's also more severe as well. Okay. Um, but then, so, but that that alone could just be depression or recurrent depressive episodes. Mm. Um, but to, to to be classified in, in a in a clinical sense as bipolar type two, you have to have had at least one episode where in your life where your mood has been for a period um, of time. So whether it's one week, two weeks, a month, uh, whatever, possibly longer, where you are not the kind of stereotypical manic, uncontrollable, unpredictable, risk-taking life and soul of the party or aggressive, you know, these classic terms that they use for somebody that is manic. Mm. Um, you are not said to, to be that high, if you like, for want of a better word. Yeah. But um, it's kind of somewhere in between being normal. <laughs> if you imagine it on a graph, I always think, like imagine a line graph with yep. a horizontal line for normal across the middle. And then you've got like below that line is, is severities of depression, and then above that line is a kind of increments of um, elevated mood. Um, and if you think of manic as being the very top of that scale, someone with bipolar type two is kind of halfway between there, and they call it hypomania, which is confusing in itself because it's just another word it's like so manic depression <laughs> bipolar disorder and they they this so someone with bipolar disorder type one has mania and someone with bipolar type two has hypomania um but that's that's what it's called um and the doctor said to me at the time that it's, he said it's tragic that you come here after having experienced 10 years of, you know, real disruptive mental illness. Um, but he said it's very sad to say that this is commonly the case with mm. people that suffer with bipolar disorder type 2 because it takes time um, for it to be recognised um, because... You could have two or three depressive episodes as somebody with bipolar type two, and and not not think anything else, um, and think okay, it's it's depression, but I, okay, I've taken antidepressants, I'm having therapy, I'm I'm able to deal with this, um, but uh, he said it often just goes unnoticed uh, because if if somebody has bipolar disorder type two. Um, similarly to bipolar disorder type 1 as well, actually, but uh, people, the sufferer, so me, for example, 
I didn't acknowledge that anything was wrong when I wasn't depressed. Yeah. If you know, if you know yeah, what I mean. What mean. Yeah. So I, if I'd been through what I now know as cycles of being very depressed, and it was almost like I'd go to bed one night and I'd imagine I'd been depressed for six months. I would go to bed still feeling depressed and I would wake up in the morning and it was like somebody had hit a switch and I thought, Oh, I feel better. Mm. And it would be such a relief and so extreme in terms of, I thought, Oh, I'm back to normal. And I would just, you know, it wouldn't be like I'd jump out of bed, punch the air and be like, off I go. Yeah, I'm better because it's, I'd been very tired because depression is exhausting. But mm. um, over the course of days and weeks, I felt like, okay, I'm back. I'm, yeah, I've, I've fought this off and now I'm back to normal. But with hindsight and having had that um, consultation and then, also, having spoken a lot more to friends and family and other people since then, hmm. everybody has kind of said to me, oh, yeah, there was that time in 2008 when you were a little bit out of control. You were, like, going out and getting drunk, like, every night and, you know, sometimes not coming home or, you know, being so drunk that you didn't know where you ended up um, and taking risks and spending lots of money. I mean, these are the, the, the traits of mm. the mania, hypomania. It's, uh, yeah, when you have that slightly elevated sense. And I remember in, now with hindsight thinking about those times and at that time, I remember thinking, I'm Superman. I can do anything. Like, and I would, I would have awareness that I'd been depressed, but I thought, that's behind me now. Now I'm indestructible. I can do anything. And I thought I was, you know, I had a real sense of, you know, delusional self-worth and self-importance and thought, I'm going to be rich i'm going to be famous i'm going to be this i'm going to be that but, you know not not even that fame was anything i'd wanted you know it'd be nice to be rich but um <laughs> just, be nice <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just having complete um unrealistic completely unrealistic thoughts and images of, of self but at that time, I just thought, oh, well, I didn't, I had no reason to question it because as far as I was concerned, I wasn't depressed. So I was well. Mm. And, you know, no one was going to tell me otherwise because <laughs> I wouldn't want to listen to anyone. Um, but since having the diagnosis and the, the treatment for bipolar disorder type 2, it's um, medication predominantly. It's as opposed to having counseling, talking therapy, anything like that, it's medication and it's different to depression in that um, it's mood stabilizing medications. So um, again, similar to antidepressants, there are quite a lot of different medications that you can take. Um, and actually I'm taking a medication called Lamotrigine. 
okay. which um, originally um, came to market as a, an anticonvulsant medication for uh, treatment of epilepsy. Okay. Um, through clinical trials, they discovered that um, as well as an anticonvulsant at lower dosages, um, it had effects on stabilizing somebody's mood. Um, so as to, you know, rather than an antidepressant that's, you know, designed to lift your mood, the um, the mood stabilizer is to kind of keep it within a safe range to kind of stop you flying off to the moon, so to yeah. speak. So you'll um, still vary, but you won't vary quite as much. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, that's that's the aim. Yeah, I um, think it sounds kind of similar to, um, although obviously different, in that um, when I started taking um, like my antidepressant, is it just felt very restrictive of your mood. So you felt very kind of numb, like there wasn't a lot of variation. But I, I kind of understood that what, while I feel a bit like... I guess like empty. Um, yeah. the, the whole point is it is trying to sort of reset. Yeah, I hear it. that so many people that it just yeah, it's a horrible feeling. Mm. So I know what you're saying, but it's all for the good, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I because before I was diagnosed with bipolar, I always had a very difficult relationship with the idea or a difficult relationship with antidepressants in that I'd always felt that they had never helped me. I thought I'd just not discovered the right one um, because I, I was pretty much taking antidepressants the whole way through, well, on and off for 10 years or more. Um, and I never felt that it affected i never felt that they worked i should say because i still had extensive depressive episodes and i thought i'm still taking the antidepressants and i'm still going through all of this um but it was obviously because i needed something else but um i I personally never felt that um antidepressants numbed me in any way um (laughs) I always have this feeling that like I'm almost like intolerant because <laughs> like, I've been taken for so long. I'm sure that's probably absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no scientific like back at all. Just this but, is what I feel. This is what I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm intolerant. Um, but with the since I've been taking the um, mood stabilizer for eighteen months, that has changed my life completely. And I guess I think, maybe, as I was saying, actually, in terms of how it um, is a mood stabilizer keeping you within safe parameters. I mean, does that sound a little bit kind of um, restrictive, as you would have? as you would imagine it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, because as I was saying, I was thinking, yeah, it does too. But as I don't feel like that, I actually, I feel more in touch with myself and my emotions and who I am. I feel like I'm closer to understanding 
all of those kind of aspects than I've yeah. ever been before. That's quite a good, um, I don't know if explanation is the right word, but quite a good explanation of, of what it is and how it makes you feel because mm. arguably, like my my initial view um, is that it kind of it restricts you in that it's pushing you into this centre ground. Whereas mm. actually when you describe it, it's a lot more like actually these these tablets are kind of starting to cut down on what my illness is doing to me so yeah. my yeah. mood now will fluctuate as it should as it would in me if i didn't have this illness yeah um yeah. completely so I think you like the way you've described it is a very nice way so mm. i think um, you've probably described it more eloquently than <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's like you say it's the different ways that um it's just the different ways that different medications would affect us and the way that we experience both our illness and the treatment that we're receiving for those as well yeah yeah definitely and how do you um, feel how do you feel with where you are at the moment i feel very uh stable at the moment i think that's <laughs> previously i never used to like saying like oh I feel well or I feel like mm. I'm in recovery but it's too much I don't, a positive word isn't it yeah well no it's it's more a case of I never liked to tempt fate because okay. I'd always say yeah I feel really good and then two yeah. weeks later I'd be yeah <laughs> not in a good way again so it's but all crap thank, now <laughs> yeah but you know that said uh, I've been stable now since last. Um, September, beginning of September last year. So it's oh, okay. um, more than a year now. Really and, and it's it's the, the longest period that I've had um, as an adult um, without a depressive episode and also without um, a hypermanic episode. Well, no, at least not that I'm aware of. But... <laughs> That's, that said, I do have a very good support network around me now as well of people that know about my condition and mm. do check in with me quite a lot. I mean, my, I mentioned my boyfriend earlier yeah. when he came and said that his friend had arrived. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but he constantly checks in with me like every couple of days or if he sees that he thinks I'm getting stressed or... You know, because I work in PR and communications, um, and it, it can be a stressful job at times because you're working with journalists that are on deadlines all the time, and they yeah. want, you know, if you're working with them on a story, they want to know that they can get hold of you at any time. So calling you or emailing you, and there's the expectation to reply quite quickly. You know, it's quite a high-paced um environment and then on the other side you have clients i'm freelance now so i have different clients <laughs> sorry if you could be <laughs> laughing in the background <laughs> someone's having uh, a good time <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we like laughing <laughs> it's good it's good it's a happy person in the background um <laughs> oh, I like that though. We're talking about like work and being busy and stressful, boyfriend. and then someone's breaking up yeah. after. I like that. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, so, and no matter how stressful work gets, I come home and my boyfriend is laughing like that. Normally, yeah. watching 
prank videos on YouTube or videos of people falling up escalators and stuff like that. Classics 2016. Oh, that's what I saw him watching the other day. But yeah, <laughs> he is um, he is like my number one lighthouse lookout person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's great to have that. I don't think I would be able to cope half as well as I do without him and without well, having someone like that in my life yeah. to be able to you know hold up a mirror when I'm, I'm not able to myself and just say have a look at yourself for a minute you need to you know take some time to chill out and there are still moments now you know I, I, I still experience as you said a moment ago like the full range of emotions you know I'll be laughing until I cry I'll be crying until I laugh, you know, Um, or, you know, just everyday kind of stuff. Um, But it's it's good that, you know, like someone, I feel like someone is looking out for me and sometimes I do just think, okay, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit too stressed. I'm just going to take half an hour out an hour out or i'm not going to work this afternoon because i just need some headspace yeah um and whether that's down to me thinking like yeah it's because of my condition i have to do that sometimes i think actually that would probably help anyone that's yeah. stressed um it's just healthy living yeah maybe. i agree i think that's the one i don't know fortunate thing is that we when you suffer or you have suffered with uh, a mental health illness is that you do give thought to things like trying to have those moments, like you say, where you rest, you give yourself five, 10 minutes, half an hour where Mm. you'll go for a walk, have a sit down, have a lie down, do whatever. Um, And everyone and anyone would benefit from that. Yeah. Um, Some people maybe do that anyway without thinking, um, but I definitely know people that don't do that and actually mm. you know, maybe they don't have the, the full effects in the way that people like ourselves would, um, mm. but they would still massively benefit just from a five minute kind of short break in the day um, mm. of just kind of switching off a little bit. Yeah. Um, like not everyone feels like they have that chance, but uh, to have just a couple of minutes in your day where you just kind of, sit stand, yeah. walk in silence is just mm. um really it's, valuable it's bliss it's absolutely <laughs> for me it's bliss um have you read uh ruby wax's book in i haven't it's called taming the mind um which actually when i was very depressed once that book was very helpful for me um uh, it's it's about mindfulness and meditation, basically what we've just been talking about. But um, it paints it in very, or describes it in very um, layman's terms, like plain English speak. Okay. And it's, it's by Ruby Wags, you know, and she's a, yeah. a comic, and mm. uh, I love her anyway as a as a comic. And she wrote um, absolutely fabulous, which is one of my classic. 
like comedy shows that I love. Um, <laughs> and actually, when when you read the book, it's just as much anecdotal about her experiences because she's also suffered with um, depression throughout her life. Um, mm. And you feel like, okay, I'm reading this because it's really wax. But wow, somebody like her, you know, suffers with mental illness and is still able to be successful and actually being hilariously funny as well. Yeah. Um, but she she'd studied a, um, I think it was psychiatry, it was psychiatry and mindfulness at Oxford University as a mature oh, okay. student, and she wrote this book on the back of that from all of the stuff that she learned about psychiatry and psychology and she'd she'd read all books about uh by freud and jung all these um you know psychoanalysts and i'd always been kind of scared of content like that like whoa it's very heavy it's very deep and i don't know how much of it i believe but um this book is all about yeah taming the mind and it's yeah meditation mindfulness and uh, that yeah helped me a lot so <laughs> she's not paying me to say any of this <laughs> i don't know ruby Wang. It's, it's a little bit of a ringing endorsement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i think it's yeah. nice when like like you say obviously someone that is do that air quotes thing again famous um mm. opens up and talks about like their own experience um I've got to be honest, I don't value it as much because I don't see celebrity in that way. But that person is in a position where, like you say, they've got the opportunity to write or publish a book or mm. whatever it is that they do and actually talk about something useful. And I know yeah. it's using um, their she, talent to do yeah. something worthwhile. But I have seen, um, I've seen her do a couple of things. And one of them, I'm sure she's done definitely one, if not two um ted talks yes um, yeah. where she talks about i don't know if it's specifically depression but it's about mental health yeah um i've definitely seen one i feel like she might have done two um, she, she may have done i think i've probably i've well i've definitely seen one ted talk she did where i remember she had a model of a, a brain on a yeah there was like a uh, there was like a table of props or something yeah 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 um, i can't remember if she did one without props and one with pro i'm not sure um mm -hmm. but yeah she's definitely done at least one yeah um so to see people kind of come out and also i think um like you just have that mindset don't you that um you can take a bit more in sometimes because you have a bit of that knowledge that oh this is someone that you kind of recognize yeah yeah um in a way that if it was just someone abstract sometimes mm. you don't always take a lot from that or it takes a little bit more to get you to buy into somebody's story yeah yeah um so that was that was really nice to see um yeah. i enjoyed seeing those because it's again someone you, you kind of recognize and standing yeah. up and talking about their own experience and yeah i think it's so valuable like people like ruby wax stephen fry mm. um alistair campbell as well you know yeah. these these people in you know i don't i'm not a big fan of alistair campbell but well i've heard him speaking specifically mm. about his uh, sufferings over the years and i yeah. just think it's so impactful when you people in the public profile uh probably in public life um yeah. that are able to to share stuff i think it's very i found it really interesting hearing him talk on the um on the recent program that channel 
five did the me and my mental illness or my mental health or something like that uh, and okay. um hearing hearing alistair campbell talk about that um obviously for for me that almost had like a different impact because it wasn't someone talking that does like comedy or sport or something like that this is someone that had a job where actually your mind is a really important thing mm. um not to say that you don't need that in comedy or, or sport but um like you are employed as a as a working professional the things mm. that you think that you decide that you action on have real kind of outcome and responsibility and you're very much held um um held to account yeah held to account for for those decisions and the way that you act and the way that you're seen mm. and to yeah. hear someone that's been in that position actually talk out um it, it was I don't know I've, it kind of felt like the a different type of story like I've yeah. heard so many depression stories but mm. his story just somehow felt a little bit different because of um not just because it was someone again air brackets famous but because it was someone mm. that has had the role well, in such had. yeah in such a position of uh, air quotes power and yeah. authority and responsibility as well I think yeah that, um I know what you mean. I, I don't think I saw that documentary, but I saw him speaking on another one a few years ago, and um, it, I found it quite chilling. Like, wow, that's um, yeah, unbelievable. Um, but you know, even Winston Churchill, um, obviously, was a sufferer of depression. I think that many people know he yeah. coined the phrase "the black dog." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's if you know a prime minister can suffer, so mm. yeah, it does make you think, it certainly does. Well, I think we've mm. uh, we might have overrun our eight o'clock. Eh? <laughs> what time is it? It's gone half eight now. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll let you go. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's fine. Should it's we gonna... finish with you telling me to shut up again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Tom, shut up! <laughs> um, no, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed talking and hearing a little bit more about your story, um, and obviously the great things of actually hearing someone that's kind of come through that um, kind of trying different medication, different therapies, um, having different diagnosis as well and kind of continuing to, to, to fight and battle through all that and kind of just hearing a little bit about the fact that you've obviously got that support network around you that you're able to talk about your experience um, and being interrupted by laughter in the background is like a really <laughs> cool thing. Um, so no, I've really enjoyed it. Um, if Thank people want to kind of follow you in the future or find out a little bit more about yourself, where are the best places to do that? Probably um, on Twitter. It's at Tom York and that's just T-O-M-Y-O-R-K. Um, I'm often being confused with Tom York of Radiohead, <laughs> the lead singer. I was um, looking the other day when I wanted to include you in like a tweet and it came it came up with so many and I was like oh my god I was yeah like, I, I suddenly can't remember what your face looked like and I was like oh, I don't know which one it is I'm gonna have to go back and find <laughs> oh that's a nightmare isn't it <laughs> I was like, um, oh dear. but <laughs> but there's apparently there's also an actor in Poldark you know the BBC one oh drama, yeah yeah whose name is also Tom York because oh, people Tom... are constantly... is he Poldark Pol... no he's not Poldark he's one oh, of okay 
Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, that would be uh, kind of cool. Almost. That would be cool. No, no disrespect to this guy who also has my name. Okay. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's great too. <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. Um, but I get people tweeting me thinking I'm him all the time. And I've because actually... you have got... You've got the Tom York Twitter account. Exactly. Can... <laughs> I was the first one to get it. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, it's just at Tom York, T-O-M-Y-O-R-K. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, that's the best place to find me. And cool. then there's links to my blog in there. Although my blog isn't specifically about mental health. I kind of post different things because mm. I, I work in the uh, not-for-profit and charity sector as well and for different campaigning organizations. So I sometimes write about stuff like that as well and also LGBT issues as well, um, which I'm interested in. Mm. But yeah, at Tom York. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you. Oh, I've just got this. I was listening to the radio the other day and they had must have been after like an England game and there was a guy came on the radio and he was complaining because he had the Twitter handle um, uh, Joe Hart and ah. so he was getting all this abuse. <laughs> so that, as soon as you were talking about someone else, I was like, yeah. it's just in my mind. All yeah. these streams of accounts. Um, yeah. So, so it no, could be worse. <laughs> it, could, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, well, it's been lovely to talk to you and um, to hear a little bit pleasure. more about your story. So. Thank you very yeah. much for coming on, Tom. Thank you for talking. Thanks, Mike. Speak to you soon. I'll speak to you soon, Tom. Have a Take nice evening. Care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. How's your day been? It's been okay, thanks. Just been working, um, and yeah, no, nothing exciting. Um, I've been writing a proposal this week for a, a new piece of business. I can't remember if I told you, but I work in communications. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a, a project coming up that I've been working on. So finally hit send and send oh, something that's good. to the client, and then. Yeah, and they replied saying, thanks, uh, we'll get back to you on Monday. So it's oh. kind of like, ah, nothing. That's kind a of, good Friday feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like punch the air moment. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I work from home, so it wasn't like... Oh, I'm, like get, get um, up and go to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, cup of tea. <laughs> How about yourself? Um, not too bad. Uh, I've got today was my first of six weeks uh, on on a workshop for emotional coping skills. So yeah. it was an interesting one. Like it's just it's been a bit of a difficult one in that like I've had to take the time off work um, to go to these just because they're nowhere near my place of work. Um, mm. So it means taking a day off, but. Um, I've been able to do that without too many questions because just one day a week is it yeah so it's well it's not even that it's like it's two and a half hours um but it's two and a half hours like today and then two and a half hours next Friday and the following Friday and the following Friday and the following Friday right okay um so it's not been too bad though it's quite nice actually to have like because it starts at 10 o'clock so it's something to get up for 
and mm. it gives me like the eve the afternoon and the evening still to do stuff so it is quite useful it's like a day off like i did um like i've t- <laughs> really boring stuff i've like topped up the oil and the antifreeze in the car <laughs> and i'm like i've been meaning to do it for like two months <laughs> yeah i mean when do you get time to do those I sorts know. of things <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> i like i felt so good about it i was like oh this is brilliant and then i realized there's no screen washing now i'm like i've still got a job to do <laughs> <laughs> oh well maybe that can be one for next friday yeah 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 i think so <laughs> <laughs> so how's um how was the workshop shop it was okay it was oh i don't know my main hang-up is the room if i'm honest um i hate the room um Mm. like i i wouldn't say i'm like a professional professional but like i work i wear a shirt to work and like i'm used to sitting in offices um and it just feels a bit like an officey environment um and that feels a bit like it's hard to open up in that environment because i get Mm -hmm. stuck in the like that work mode of kind of shutting down and just getting on with whatever a task is. Yeah, it can be quite sterile. Yeah, it just doesn't... I don't feel, like, encouraged to talk. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, that was the first one, so it was a good kind of go along, see who the people are, see how the session runs, and um, I think, like, if I feel that way at the end of the second one, I'll mention it and just, like, say... Like, I'll just find, like, the setup of the room. Because maybe someone else thinks that as well, but mm, people don't yeah. want to say it, so... I'm sure they welcome feedback Yeah, well. like, they did something. today, and I was close to saying something, and I was like, no, I just don't... Just because it's the first session, Yeah, you feel a bit <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I'm here, I'm not going to tell you anything, though. <laughs> um, how many people? Um, there's quite a few. Uh, I think, like... 60 16 17 ish yeah um it's just the room is quite small um so there's a but it's set up with like a conference table in the middle Mm. um and we're sat around the outside and we feel like the 18 the 16 18 of us feel the table um Mm. and then behind you like if you're sat at the table you've probably got like what like a foot two foot three inches max. of space <laughs> yeah so it just feels like you've maxed out on the room and they did say oh there's a few more people here than we were expecting because they factor in like a dropout rate uh, right. um and i was like oh it's kind of cool you do that but shouldn't you like yeah if, pe- if everybody does turn <laughs> up yeah i was like mm. it is a bit is it an nhs funded yeah so it's it's um like a mental health unit building um but it's through nhs so Mm. i guess they're like i do feel like i think i've been to something similar before i've I've gone to it just mainly like it could be useful but it's also it's all that's on offer at the moment so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and where is where is that i mean i don't really know where you're based or anything oh so i'm in haven uh which is near portsmouth Uh, i went to university in southampton oh okay i know haven't i don't think i've been there but um you might have changed trains yeah possibly yeah (laughs) there's nothing Uh, else to say (laughs) 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 you've not missed anything But yeah, no, it is a bit. It does seem to be a bit of a postcode lottery in terms of NHS provisions for mental health. Because I was living um, in New Malden in Surrey, which is okay. kind of near Wimbledon Way, so it's kind of just on the 
outskirts of South London. Um, and I, I th- when you were talking about that workshop, I was thinking, ah, that sounds really similar to one that I went to. Uh, I forget what they were, what they referred to it as. It wasn't a doctor's surgery, but it it wasn't a specific mental health unit because it was kind of with catering for lots of different um, conditions, not okay. strictly mental health. But I remember sitting in a room similar to the one that you just described, mm. and it was this was a stress management course. Um, I wasn't feeling like I needed to go on a stress management course. I was actually at the depths of despair and depression at the time, but... <laughs> Oh, oh yeah i've heard a couple of people say we've been sent along yeah. to something that we don't really feel like it's actually about what we're struggling yeah. with yeah very random hmm. um yeah not the best experience <laughs> <laughs> but i people I, having said that i know that some of the people that were there seemed to be getting a lot from it hmm. so it's not to say that it's not a valuable course um but it just wasn't for me. And but yeah, just to echo what you were saying about the room. Yeah. yeah. But it just uh, it's often the case with, you know, limited funding and yeah. like public buildings and stuff like that. But I think it's I don't know, I just I feel like it annoys me more because I'm like, oh there's a service being offered and rather than like I'm paying attention to something that doesn't really matter. Mm. But it's that thing that puts you in the right like we're it we are dealing with something that's about the mind and if the mind is thinking or it's not comfortable Mm. like it's then hard to to work on something but i think i think it also comes into my mind because i've been into this um i've been to the unit before and gone into like one of their like i don't know like the meeting counseling rooms where it's like you um and like a psychologist and you can have like someone else sat in with you and it's like a massive room for three people and you've got space um like you've got your own chairs there's a nice little table with some tissues and stuff on it Mm. um and i'm like they've gone to the effort to make these rooms appropriate for you to sit there and um like feel comfortable and talk about whatever you're going to talk about and then it's almost like well we're dealing with 20 of you at once now so let's just cram you all in (laughs) (laughs) and not worry about what the room looks like (laughs) Mm. (laughs) i just Oh, I despair. I'm like, what is it? I, I, my main thing, I think, was I don't know. They're all main now, aren't they? Um, mm. Was like, there's a massive table in the middle of the room. None of us are reading or writing anything down. What are the tables here for? Yeah, strange. Oh, it's obviously dear. rooms that they use for all sorts of things. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, I feel like I've detracted us quite a long way. <laughs> Saying hi, how was your day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i have a habit of digressing anyway so absolutely fine oh dear